Welcome, it's indisputable, I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other, Jeff Wiggins is with me. Rebel HQ contributor and host of We Gonna Be Alright. Should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, Fonnie Willis DA says, well, not too much. But the Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, the former, says, yeah, she has enough to indict Trump right now. Let me give you the 411. All right, you're looking at the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia. She is leading the criminal investigation into former President Donald Trump for tampering, trying to manipulate an actual certified election. Now, Georgia's former Lieutenant Governor is a Republican. He was Lieutenant Governor during the time of this saga. Now an on air CNN commentator said the 40 County DA, Fonnie Willis, now has enough evidence to indict former President Donald Trump for his alleged role in interfering with the result of the state's 2020 presidential election. Let's put up a picture of Jeff Duncan, the former Lieutenant Governor. He said, and I quote, there's enough information for him to be indicted, Jeff Duncan said on Wednesday. Duncan, who has been a strong Trump critic, chose not to run for reelection last year. Clearing a path that led Burt Jones, a strong Trump supporter, to win the seat in November. Duncan's comments come as Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney. We've been talking about Robert McBurney this week. Robert McBurney, the judge, continues to maul over whether a grand jury report on alleged 2020 Georgia presidential election interference should be made public. The DA, Bonnie Willis, does not want it made public now, citing it may compromise potential defendants. Well, what does that tell us? That out of this grand jury, special grand jury, there will be defendants. There's another dynamic I always have to mention for the record. This is a special purpose grand jury in Georgia, which means they have broad investigative authority, but they do not have the authority to actually indict. You have to impanel normative grand jury to accept the recommendations from this grand jury in order to indict. Also, federal prosecutors were going to charge Donald Trump on his way out of the door, talking about the presidency, but they didn't. All right, let's get into it. Federal prosecutors considered charging Donald Trump on his way out of office. Why? Over hush money. Hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. That's according to a new book. Prosecutors in the Southern District of New York found substantial evidence against Trump during their investigation, which resulted in charges against his former attorney, Michael Cohen. This was back in 2018. But they did not consider charging Trump at charging Trump at that time due to the Justice Department guidance that a sitting president cannot be indicted. But that changed by January 2021. That's according to a new book from a CNN senior legal analyst. Now let me say this. You know all of the rhetoric about no one is above the law in America. Damn lies. It's a lie. Now, should it be that 
a person has to adhere to the same laws that everyone else does? Of course, that should be the standard. That should be how it works. But there are people that are in fact treated as if they are above the law. Let's go back to this presidential dynamic. Guidance from the Department of Justice is what the prosecutor cited as to why they did not indict Donald Trump while he was president. Well, first of all, that's a bunch of bull. The Constitution does not provide any direction as it relates to if you can or cannot charge a sitting president with a crime. Why? Because the thought was just so extreme. The Constitution was not written for a person like Donald Trump. And it is ironic that even Mueller decided to cite a very similar dynamic and said it was unconstitutional. Well, please point where in the Constitution does it say you cannot do this? There is a memo written to protect another corrupt president from the DOJ. And they utilized that memo in order to say, "Oh, we can't touch Trump while he's president. But what about after he was president? All right, there's more. The draft Cohen indictment, all right? The draft Cohen indictment was a full accounting running over 50 pages in one iteration. Essentially, both a formal indictment of Cohen and a public um, excoriation of Donald Trump, only without charges attached. So the analyst wrote in his forthcoming book, Untouchable, the SDNY's draft indictment left no doubt. Trump wasn't merely a bystander or an unwitting beneficiary of the campaign finance crime. He was the driving force behind the scheme and likely criminally liable for it. Well, the list goes on and on as far as his criminal conduct. Cohen said, well, Trump actually is the one who should be indicted. Cohen has maintained he did do wrong, but he was doing it at the direction of the then President of the United States. Well, once again, another example of a man being above the law in these United States of America. Will we now look at the reasons these prosecutors decided not to actually indict, not to charge? Highly doubt it. All right, Jeff, thoughts here. I'm really looking forward to at least seeing if charges are finally going to stick to Teflon Don. I want to be hopeful, sure, and I'm glad you've laid out the background as far as what needs to be done in order to bring charges to him. But just three days ago, Attorney General Letitia James in New York said, as we have shown all along, we have a legitimate legal case against him and his organization. Is it going to happen? We heard the man's phone call with Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find, quote, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state. And I want to add, there's nothing wrong with saying you know that you've recalculated. What could that mean other than we're going to steal this thing and you're going to help me? He tried to mob boss his way into an elected office and he seemingly thinks he's going to get away with it. Why wouldn't he? He's always gotten away mm-hmm. with it. He's put himself in positions of privilege. And then this country put him in another level as a position of privilege to figure out ways to get away with things. And it's worked for him. So I guess congrats to him. But at some point, this has to end, whether it's in Georgia or New York or wherever else. Somebody has to stick these things to him so he cannot be above the law.
Yeah, somebody needs to ish or get off the toilet at some point, <laughs> all right? Okay, more cops under criminal investigation now. Remember the cops who beat to death a man in Memphis? That video is coming out very soon according to the authorities. More cops are now under criminal investigation. Let me first take you to this video and give you the breakdown. In light of the horrific circumstances surrounding the death of Tyree Nichols, it is absolutely incumbent upon me, your chief, to address the status of what the Memphis Police Department is doing, has done, and will continue to do in furtherance of finding truth in this tragic loss. Ensuring we communicate with honesty and transparency, and that there is absolute accountability for those responsible for Tyree's death. Concurrent within that investigation, other MPD officers are still under investigation for department policy violations. Some infractions are less egregious than others. As this investigation and other external investigations continue, I promise full and complete cooperation from the Memphis Police Department with the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and the Shelby County District Attorney's Office to determine the entire scope of facts that contributed to Tyree Nichols' death. What about the scope of facts that contributed to you being in charge, madam? of a corrupt ass police department. What about those? Let's put the pictures up for a mass here. You see on one side is a man who should be alive. He was beaten to death, not because the policy was wrong, but because the culture of that police department was wrong. So the Memphis police chief, she continues to do these special PR blitz. Uh, these, this uh, CJ uh, Davis is her name, announced Wednesday an investigation of all specialized police units. All specialized police units and other officers, more so than the five cops responsible for the death of Tyree Nichols, are underway in response to what? In response to the death of another black male. You see, they're doing this to save themselves. Once again, they're doing this as a reaction when they could have been proactive. All of the energy that they're putting into this today, if they would have put half of it into the prevention of this, we wouldn't be here. That man would be alive. It's no telling how many other offenses these specialized units have done against citizens. And believe me, they're not telling us all of the complaints, all of the phone calls that they're getting, getting right now. From citizens of Memphis saying, you know, that unit did this to me. That unit falsely charged me with that. Those phone calls are happening every day. The unit that the five were a part of, five officers were all members of the MPD's Scorpion Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace to Our Neighborhoods Unit. Okay, that's who they were and believed to be working as part of the unit when they stopped Nichols for alleged reckless driving earlier this month. Davis created the unit to focus police resources and respond to reckless driving and drag racing on city streets. So you have this specialized unit created for the sake of traffic and a man ends up getting beaten to death 
by five cops. Let's put them up again, despicable individuals, all of you. As we covered yesterday, each cop faces one charge of second degree murder, one charge of aggravated assault, two charges of aggravated kidnapping, two charges of official misconduct, and one charge of official oppression. According to the Shelby County Jail records, Justin Smith has already been released on a $250,000 bond Thursday night. And his release came shortly after Desmond Mills Jr. was also set free on a $250,000 bond. The three other officers, Emmett Martin III, Tadarius Bean, and Demetrius Haley are still in jail as of last check. Meanwhile, police departments in major cities like Austin, Texas, DC, Los Angeles, California are preparing for a possible civil unrest in anticipation of the Friday release of a video depicting the confrontation between the five cops and the 29 year old Tyree Nichols. And let's be very clear to the Fox News Network who conceptualized and contextualized this as the encounter. This was simply a murder. This was a killing, this was a brutal homicide. The video is so damning, ladies and gentlemen, that I received a call from an official in the city government a few days ago who said, Doc, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. The worst thing I've ever seen. We're gonna have to deal with this as a community. I'm sick and damn tired of the police chief hopping her happy ass on TV talking about, hey, everybody behave. Everybody listen, calm down, it's real bad. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm investigating other cops. We gotta figure out what's going on. You're in charge, madam. You mean to tell me you did not know you were in charge of a corrupt police force? All five cops on the same page, they didn't even talk about it. They did not have a plan. They all acted the same way, why? Because it's not a policy issue, it's a cultural issue. And you know it because you study criminal behavior. Don't act as if all of a sudden you're not a detective, madam. Don't play the game as if somehow you know less than everybody else. This is your industry, yours. You knew what you were in charge of. And all of a sudden, there are massive investigations with all of your officers. Ma'am, this is a failure all across the board. Jeff, thoughts here. This was a murder, he was killed. I just want to get a few things out the way before this video comes out. You cannot reform this, you cannot train this away. And funding won't help this situation. It was reported earlier, the police officers who kidnapped and murdered Tyree Nichols, as you alluded to earlier, were part of a special police unit were purportedly designed to prevent crime. Inside the Memphis Police Department, which receives $275 million every year, it sucks up 38% of the city's entire budget. It's not a policy thing, it's an environment where a culture is set up, no matter what your skin color is, to subject a specific group of people to be beasts of burdens, and he was treated as such. His family said that they compared it to what happened to Rodney King. And there's many implications to that, sure. 
Like the fact that I don't know how many years ago was that? 30 something years ago? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. So what do we do? Are we telling people who are gonna be rightly upset about this to not be violent? How about we tell the police ahead of time to not be violent? Like, let's get that message out to these yes, police departments where these environments and cultures are, like I said, in such a way that is causing harm to the community and is building mistrust as we move forward. Nobody thought it could get worse as far as the disconnect and trust between cop and community. Obviously, we were mistaken. All right, Florida cops decided to beat up an unsheltered man. They have now been charged with crimes. Let's put their pictures up full mask here. Once again, scumbags in my opinion. The two Hialeah, Florida cops, 22 year old Lorenzo Arfila on the left and 27 year old Rafael Otenya on the right are charged with armed kidnapping and battery after they allegedly kidnapped an unsheltered man, drove him to an isolated location and beat him while he was handcuffed. Or Fila is also charged with official misconduct. So keep their pictures up. December 17, so you're right around Christmas. When the officers responded to a disturbance at a shopping plaza and encountered this man, Ortega Gutierrez, Jose Ortega Gutierrez. He's an unsheltered brother who is well known in that local area. Mr. Ortega Gutierrez was handcuffed and put into the back of their police car, despite Surveillance footage from the scene showing they had no reason whatsoever to take him into custody. You see, they are aware that cameras are in the general area. They're the police. They decided to do this extremely illegal thing known as kidnapping on camera. This is how brazen the police have become. Instead of being taken to jail, they took Mr. Ortega Gutierrez to an isolated location where he was beaten and thrown to the ground while still being handcuffed. GPS on their vehicles show both of these cops drove to a field outside of their assigned sector. Also, neither cop turned his body camera on. Ortega Gutierrez said, He lost consciousness and woke up unhandcuffed, alone and bleeding from his head. He started walking and happened to come across an off duty officer who was walking his dog and called 911 for him. He told police what happened to him and was taken to a hospital for treatment. Thank God he ran into some decent cops. One of the officers who responded, one of the officers who responded to the scene was contacted by the other cop who inquired about the condition of the man that they had beaten 
and asked the officer to classify the 911 calls as no report. Orfila also told the officer that they had dropped Ortega Gutierrez off and roughed him up, admission of guilt. Days after the incident, Ortega Gutierrez was approached by 45 year old Ali Amin Sila, who claimed to be a private investigator, offering him $1,200 in cash to sign an affidavit, an affidavit stating that he had been arrested for drinking, had not been beaten by the officers. Ortega Gutierrez doesn't know how to read, and he didn't know what was in the affidavit, but signed it for the money because he's unsheltered and he was desperate. That alleged private investigator has now been arrested as well. How did this happen? There's no humanity. Listen, an unsheltered man already having a difficult time and that's how you respond to him. I just, there are a lot of things I wanna say. I'm not able to say cuz we're on TV. But the world has a way, gentlemen. The world has a way. In scripture, we say reap what you sow. Mm. The world has a way. All right, dear brother thoughts. Earlier you used the term brazen and I appreciate you using that term because it shows we're on the same page because I thought the same thing because these officers were under impression that this unhoused individual, this unsheltered man, nobody must have cared about him because they treated him in such a way that they thought that they can get away with this and just move on with their lives. And an attorney earlier said something about the release of these officers so they can get back to their families. Are you for real? Like this is a real thing that they said in front of people in order for these criminals to be released. This was, as you stated, it took place days before Christmas. They could have done a number of things, including simply, which by the way, this wouldn't have been great, but like simply taking him to jail. He didn't do anything wrong, but apparently it would have been better than what ended up happening to him, what they did to him. Completely awful, the lack of humanity is horrible. And I strongly feel like they did this because again, since he was unsheltered, unhoused, nobody would care about him, including friends and family. And so I'm glad, let's give him credit, a, an off-duty officer was walking and did the right thing. Yep. And these officers, and the picture was up earlier, they are guilty, guilty because they tried to cover it up. And you know, let's put them under the jail. Yeah, and this is renewing our call, obviously, for the George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act. So that we can have the background necessary to know who these cops are. And we can have the resources taken away from police departments who routinely protect individuals like this. This story is still developing. We will bring you more updates as they come. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Um, let me remind everyone, we have Ricky Smiley coming up this Monday. The big homie will be with me Monday, breaking down news with me. All right, Ricky Smiley of the Ricky Smiley Morning Show. Always remarkable to have him on the program. Okay, let me read a couple of comments, kind of press for time. Thank you all for joining the conversation. Jamal G, thank you for that, Jamal. Every Even our own people switching up on us shows that they are incapable. 
of setting examples. All right, and raw bear underscore dragon, I think I said that right. In the words of Miss Nina Turnip, uh, don't talk about it, be about it. Indicting the big liar, uh, I agree. All right, got something for you, ladies and gentlemen. I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Pick up through the drive thru, not at the front of your store. Yes, sir. It does take a few minutes before we make them. No, That's I, why we're saying. No, I understand that, but there's no one behind us. If there's somebody behind us, we would pull up. There's no one behind us. And I already spoke to your DM, and he already said we don't have to pull up. You can call your district manager. He already knows that we we don't have to pull up. It's your policy. Well, when you place a mobile order, we have to have time to make it. Right, and y'all can go ahead and make it. There's no one behind us. Okay, so what we do because we have this timer. I understand that. I know. I know. I know. I know how y'all's policies work. We will pull you. Call your boss. Call your district manager. I'm not calling anybody. Call your district manager. You call. Pull to the front. No, ma'am. Call the police. It's up to you. Call the police on what? I will because you won't move out. You're going to lose your job. I hope you know that. Okay. Well, go ahead. You re- you really want to lose your job? Hey, do what you got to do. If you think you can control me having a job, then you go ahead. <laughs> okay. I love that line. If you think you can control me having a job, go ahead. Perfect anti-care and combat. So let me analyze this, all right? You have a male patron who did not even order from the drive-thru, he didn't. He ordered through the mobile app, all right? And he decided to just drive up to the drive-thru and just wait and say, hey, you know, I'm gonna wait here. I know I didn't order here, but I'm gonna wait right here. Well, sir, it's gonna take time to make your meal. Could you go ahead and just, you know, just wait in the parking lot like everyone else who orders through the mobile app. It's gonna take time to make it. No, 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 I already talked to the to, to the manager, I, I can stay right here. See, just petty. This was all fabricated, all created, all made up this whole saga. So let me explain why it is disheartening to see a person treat someone in a service establishment like this. When she alluded to the timer, I'm gonna tell you what the timer is about. Because I have some mentees that work at fast food restaurants, love them to life. That timer sets as soon as a car pulls up. There's a clock that starts going, seconds counting, boom, boom. And the longer that car waits there, there's a report that goes to corporate. And that report says, you are keeping people in this line too long. And because of that, you're going to get written up. You're gonna have a penalty. So he didn't care about that nuance. When she tried to explain it to him, he was unconcerned. See, I'm concerned about that clock. That clock creates a negative for the employee because of your manipulation, sir. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you are unaware that's how it works. Now you are, so hopefully the next time you would just park your happy ass over in the parking lot and wait for your food like everybody else who orders through the app. All right, thoughts here. I'm glad you explained the clock thing because I'm glad she didn't because she didn't have to. Why couldn't he just move his car up? 
I don't understand. Even if a car wasn't behind him, let's say a car was eventually going to be behind him. Was he going to move his car then? All you got to do is move up, dog, is Dunkin' Donuts. Get your above average donuts and keep it moving, my man. Like it has nothing to do with nothing. But that's the essence of a Karen though, right? Thinking he could control the situation or could control her job. So she called him out on it, nothing was going on. Don't talk to black women that way. She will send you where you need to go. Yeah, she definitely came to that window with complete anti-Karen vibes. <laughs> Love it. I'll be damned. Okay, what was this about? According to the narrative associated with the post, this was about getting gas. That the Karen was upset about someone beating her to the gas pump. So she decided to engage in a felony act. And then rolled on the side of the person. This is what you call OG Karen. Gets out of the vehicle, engages in another criminal activity. There is literally another damn gas pump at the same gas station. You don't even have to leave the gas station. Or you could wait a couple of minutes and the person who's currently getting gas will actually leave once the gas is finished pumping. I don't know if the Karen was aware of how pumping gas works. But if you would like to create $1,000 worth of damage to your vehicle and damage to the vehicle in front of you, and also have a felony charge, as well as a possible hit and run charge, so be it. Just seems to be, I don't know, antithetical to the reason why you need a gas. I thought you had to get somewhere. All right, David, insane, but thoughts. Well, when I see the gas station is full, and sometimes that's to me like, oh yeah, I need to go into the convenience store because I need to get myself some orange juice and a granola bar and some chocolate, and I take care of business that way. And then by the time I come out, the gas station is empty. But that, of course, requires a little bit of planning and sort of forethought. And maybe we've determined that the Karens at the gas stations aren't capable of complex, critical thinking to analyze these situations. There you go. All right. Um, you know, I hope it. I hope the young lady is okay. Who she hit. All right, a boarding school ignored, completely ignored the sick pleas of a student who died, put up a picture full of masks. And damn it, this is one of the most avoidable things. 17 year old Taylor Goodrich collapsed at Diamond Ranch Academy in Hurricane Utah. This happened on December 20th, days before Christmas. After weeks of reporting to those who were trusted to care for her, that she was sick, that she was ill. While an official cause of death 
has not yet been determined per December 30th lawsuit. Her father, Dan Goodrich, alleges she died of sepsis, the life-threatening condition that arises from the body's response to infection. It is debilitating. Her father alleges those in charge at the boarding school for at-risk youth told her to, and I quote, suck it up, take an aspirin. The Utah Department of Health and Human Services placed Diamond Ranch Academy's license on conditional status, allowing it to remain open while the agency and the police department investigate her death. The academy is actively collaborating with investigators. NBC News spoke to seven, count them, seven former staff members at Diamond Ranch Academy, including five who said Taylor was ill on different occasions in the three months before her death, but was not taken off campus to be evaluated. Four spoke on the condition of anonymity because they fear retaliation by the academy's leadership. Their accounts echoed the claims made in the lawsuit. The seven former members all told NBC News that Diamond Ranch Academy management warned them that children who complained about feeling sick often did so just to get attention, avoid homework or convenience their parents to remove them or convince, excuse me, their parents to remove them. Only medical staff members could recommend that a child be taken to a hospital. But to do so generally would have required a staff member to leave campus, putting them out of sync with state mandated ratios of adults to children. So they were in almost violation of the rules. And they said, well, if we have to leave to take care of a sick teenager, we're going to have a different penalty. And so we're gonna just let her be sick here and claim that She's not. If children objected, if they had the audacity to object, they couldn't tell their families because the school controlled who they could call Mm. and limited and monitored their phone calls and letters with parents and former staff. The former staff said, Taylor's also the third child to die in Utah residential treatment facilities care since the state enacted a set of reforms, March of 2021. And Taylor's death is the latest in a years long record of grim incidents and allegations at the Diamond Ranch Academy, including the death of at least two other children at the school, a school nurse who forged opioid prescriptions, a teacher convicted of possessing child porn and lawsuits, accusing staff members of inappropriate contact with students, but the damn place still open. Now, when this happens, you have to start checking folks bank accounts. I'm talking about the politicians who are allowing it to happen. You need to start checking the flow of money and connection. Nowhere in the hell all of these things should happen at one facility back to back to back. And it is still allowed to this day to operate under a conditional status. We want to highlight this story because we believe that there's more to come. Jeff, thoughts here. Even if this student was throwing up multiple times in order to get attention or to get out of work, I'm even going to, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I'm even going to appeal to people's selfishness right quick. Wouldn't you want that individual to get some help so you wouldn't get sick? What is the incentive for them to keep this individual around? 
help her get the help she needs. Like she threw up, vomited multiple times. Even if a selfish person were afraid to get sick, they would have done something about it. So if the issue was the ratio from staff to student or staff member to child there, yeah, this amount of selfishness needs to be checked in on. And I'm hoping as you alluded to earlier, the paper trail can reveal something because this is beyond bad humanity and optics here. Yeah, really is. All right, we will continue to stay with the story. Um, here's a positive story, a protege, a young man who simply sat down in front of a piano and boom, magic happened. Here it is. Never took, never took a piano lesson. Isaiah Kofi, mm. 43 is the father. Out of Aurora, Colorado, this father was stunned when his autistic 11 year old son played the keyboard for the first time with genius talent, not exceptional, genius oh. talent. Jude Kofi's music talent described to be on par with Beethoven's. Never received piano lessons before unveiling this hidden gift. For some reason, God turned around and blessed him with this talent and now it's everywhere, Isaiah Kofi said. Now, I want to pause on this point because it's such a beautiful story. His gift was always there. He just needed the right atmosphere to express it. Now, imagine if he never, never got exposed to that instrument. Then there would be those who would have said, he doesn't have any talent. He doesn't have any productivity. He's not brilliant or genius. He had the right atmosphere for the talents that are already inside of him. Every young person is brilliant. It is about the atmosphere around them that must be intentional.
to bring that brilliance out of them. Jude Kofi is one of the four children of Isaiah Kofi and his wife. Jude's talents are more remarkable given his start in life. Jude experienced several medical complications when he was younger. He was born premature with low oxygen levels and he had a hole in his heart. He had to undergo heart surgery. He was then later diagnosed with autism. He had a breathing tube and G tube, a heart procedure, lots of stuff. And we were all worried about him, Isaiah Kofi said. One morning, Isaiah Kofi was watching the news while Jude was in the family basement where all their instruments are stored. He then heard Jude's keyboard producing beautiful music. He ventured to the basement and was in amazement. I heard him playing on it, so I grabbed my phone and started recording him, Isaiah Kofi said. I just started making music, Jude Kofi said of his savant-like talent. It was Jude Kofi's first time actually playing his keyboard, which added to the shock. Genius discovered because the right atmosphere was present. Jeff, thoughts here? It's absolutely beautiful. Like that's genius level work and he's a genius. Like that was wonderful and I'm so glad that he found something that he can take and use as his own in order to find some creative expression. I don't know if anybody knows, I worked with children with autism for 12 and a half years of my life. So this is fantastic. And behind this little tarp thing I got up, I brought my nine-year-old a keyboard, and he he's learning how to play sober by Childish Gambino. But you know we're getting <laughs> there. But yeah. I can, but I can show him this video and say like you know while this kid was able to do it instantly, maybe you can get to this level. Like that was so beautiful, and I'm so glad I got to see that because that was amazing. Beautiful stuff. There are a lot of beautiful things in this ugly world. All right, we got more on the other side. Is indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left, good to be with you. All right, don't have a whole lot of time. I wanna say thank you to the Flojo 1958. Welcome to Indisputable, we appreciate your continued support. This is an Indisputable exclusive. Black female Uber driver says she was attacked by a racist white male and the police did not want to investigate. We have the entire story right here. Let me first take you to this video, here it is. I'm going to explain to you what you just saw. Now, here's the viral video. Hi guys, this is my update from the assault that happened on me when I was driving for Uber. This is the very first report that I made that same day, 12-17-2022. As you can see, I'm the only victim. And at the bottom, I was driving a 2022 Tesla. DPD was first on the scene. 
This was my first detective that was taking the case. And he told me since further in the investigation that it has to go to MSP because it happened on the freeway in their district. When I got to MSP and gave them my report, I showed them a picture of this man, the man that strangled me when I was begging for help. And they started to freak out. They told me to never come back to the police station or else. So DPD told me to go to MSP. MSP said they wasn't going to help me. So I called some important people and I did send out some certified mail. I tried to take this to the local news and they wouldn't take it. They told me that they called up to MSP and something went wrong up there. Come to find out the man that was in my back seat wasn't even the man that ordered the Uber ride. This is the man that was in my back seat. I fought for my life up there on that bridge. I'm five foot five, 125 pounds. This man is six feet and 230 easy. I'm trying to spread awareness because nobody's helping. So I'm coming to the social media since I can't put it on the news. Now, I want to put her picture for a mass and we're going to give you the background. A black Uber driver says she was grabbed and pushed by her white male passenger and what she says was a racist attack on December 27th in Detroit. After she complained to Uber, her account according to her was deactivated. But when she shared her story on TikTok, social media revolted and Uber reversed their decision. Her name is Desiree Keys. Desiree Keys is an Uber driver and musician from Detroit, Michigan. She was driving her passenger around at 3 a.m. on December 17th, according to her, on Interstate 94 headed toward Detroit. Her passenger named Nico in the app started acting strangely, she says. He asked her how she could afford such a nice car. Then she says he asked her if she could sell him drugs. This is the passenger in question that she alluded to. When next, she says he threatened to kill her. That's what she says. Keys stopped on the interstate and demanded he get out. She told police the passenger grabbed her head by her weave and ripped one of her braids, slapped her and dumped his drink on her seats and got close to her face to push her. Here is the eyewitness description from another driver on the road. Amir Nunn spoke direct directly to indisputable investigates. So this eyewitness said, and I quote, the man was aggressively walking up on her and she was pushing him back like, get out of my face. And he just kept at her. So it was a moment where she gave him a light shove. He came back and she threw, as she threw her first hit, they began to tussle, do a little tussling. Next, Keys and the eyewitness said a second man got out of his Dodge Ram to intervene. Misreading the scene, the man puts Keys in a chokehold. This is the person who allegedly did that. Keys was admitted to Ascension Providence Hospital and received x-rays and treatment for her neck 
pain. After Keyes mentioned she wanted to speak with an attorney, Uber deactivated her account, essentially firing the contract worker. That's the email exchange there. But when her TikTok video went viral and people complained, Uber reinstated her. We have it right there. The initial report from the Detroit police listed assault and battery, simple assault committed against Keys by her passenger who they identify as Nico. The Detroit police narrative also notes to contact Uber for more information on the passenger. We have that information right there. Later, Detroit kicked the case over to the Michigan state troopers because the fight happened on the highway. Here is the current investigator, trooper Chadwick Carpenter. The witnesses, Amir Nan, said she was surprised no one from either department reached out to speak with her. She said, we were the first there. So keep up the detective, because detective, there's a witness. I'm just trying to help the police. There's a witness who says you all have not contacted her. Now I'm sure you want to get to the bottom of this case. If you need me to make the connection, we will be happy to do so at Indisputable. None described the passenger to Indisputable, said and I quote, this is our witness saying to us and I quote, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, or whatever the case may be. And he let her go, she's crying, ranting, trying to tell what happened to prove her innocence. Everyone's like, as if she's the aggressor, she's the angry one. And the man that she was fighting, her attacker, he was also playing the victim as he, as if he didn't provoke her to do what she did, which was defend herself from him. That's according to the witness. Carpenter did not respond to Indisputable's request or comment, but Key's reports she received his text this morning after Indisputable contacted the department directly. Michigan State Police Metro South Post Commander Lieutenant Lance Curtier said the investigation is now open. They still need Key's medical paperwork and have not heard back from the witness. Here is the director of the Michigan State Police, Colonel Joseph Gasper. Now, Colonel, the only reason this is a story today is because of alleged inactivity mm-hmm. from the police as it relates to a proper investigation. So now I'm involved. I fully expect a full and exhaustive investigation. And if charges are warranted, post haste. All right, Jeff, thoughts here. I first want to start off by saying I'm glad that this woman has a show like yours, Dr. Richie, and a staff like yours who will seek justice for this woman when there was inactivity from the police department. But at the same time, shouldn't have come to this. I don't know why they denied her in the first place. And even her having to make a TikTok in response to her what her employer or former employer did is also disgusting. She's getting blocked at every stop trying to seek some help and justice and some recourse for something that shouldn't have happened to her. She didn't make sure to note how small she is in proportion or relative to size mm-hmm. to the people who attacked her. 
That shouldn't matter. She, a black woman, is being denied every single step. And it's gross, and we know why. So I'm sure we'll figure out, your staff and you will figure out moving forward why she was denied in the first place. And hopefully we can get her a new position somewhere where she's actually appreciated and seen as a human. Yeah, and I want to remind people, I don't let nothing go, nothing. I don't let a damn thing go, all right? All right, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. There's a horrific allegation, man attacked, black student has been attacked according to the report. And dreadlocks ripped from his scalp. Let's put the picture up full mass. In Kennesaw, Georgia, two men belonging to a fraternity allegedly attacked Jalik Roseman. Mr. Roseman said he parked and was headed to his apartment when the men attacked him and proceeded to stomp him before ripping his dreadlocks oh off of his head. They're referring to me as boy, he says. Roseman said they're calling me black, they're calling me the N word. The investigation of the incident so far, police went to the frat house and spoke to the men involved. They said their investigation remains ongoing. WSB TV reporter Tom Jones, Tom Jones is a very good reporter by the way, good friend of mine, got the incident report in which a man claimed Roseman drove recklessly through the parking lot and almost hit him and his frat brother. So they attacked him. Roseman said that's nowhere close to the truth. What sparked all of this is nothing but hatred, Mr. Roseman said, cuz I didn't do anything. All I did was pull into my home. Can I submit this for the record? If he was recklessly driving, it does not provide permission for criminal assault. I believe him based on simple credibility. I believe him based on credibility, that's my opinion. But even if the other narrative is true, it still does not provide an immunity for criminal conduct against him. Let's put up the powers that be. Kennesaw police are asking anyone with information about this case to give Detective James Amica on the left a call at 770-429-4533. As of this report, police have not arrested anyone and have not said whether this is a hate crime. Bill Westenberger is the chief of police right now of Kennesaw on the right. The identity of the alleged attackers nor the fraternity they belong to could be confirmed. All right, um, once again, another saga. We just have to pay attention to it, see how it develops. If it happened the way the young man says it happened, obviously this is a hate crime in the state of Georgia. Uh, we finally, finally received a hate crimes bill roughly two years ago. All right, Jeff, thoughts here. Justice, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just wanna make that quick, like real quick. Let's do what's right here, please. There it is, all right. Um, <laughs> Discrimination, racism, well, a woman is getting paid a million dollars because, well, a 
Store clerk said, we don't serve black people. That's a no, no, let's put up her picture mm. full of mass here, all right? A black Portland woman, her name is Rose Wakefield. Ms. Wakefield has now been awarded $1 million in damages. After finding she was discriminated against by a gas station employee who told her, and I quote, I don't serve black people. That's according to the allegation. Background on the incident, Ms. Wakefield stopped for gas at Jackson's food store in Beaverton on March 12, 2020, and saw the attendant, Nigel Powers. Ignore her and instead pump gas for the other drivers. When she tried to ask for assistance, he said, I'll get to you when I feel like it. Whoa. Surveillance video showed Wakefield go inside to ask for help. Another employee followed her back outside to pump her gas. Wake, Wakefield's lawyer said she was leaving. Wakefield asked Powers, why did he refuse to help her? And that he said, and I quote, I don't serve black people. During the following week, Wakefield complained twice to managers, but her phone calls were largely disregarded. Powers was fired a month later after corporate records showed he had been written up several times for talking on his cell phone. A statement from Jackson's food stores Thursday said the company has a zero tolerance policy for discrimination in any kind and that it respectfully disagrees with the jury's ruling because our knowledge does not align with the verdict. Well, your knowledge is not required for the jury, <laughs> all right? Once again, it does not pay to be racist or to discriminate against people based on the element of racism. But if you would like to be racist at a store, Please be racist to me. I am in need of one cool extra million dollars myself. This is the reality. She simply wanted management to respond appropriately according to the narrative, according to the reports filed. She just wanted them to say, hey, we acknowledge what happened, we're on top of it. We're gonna give you an update as soon as we finish this investigation. We take what you say seriously because they refuse to even validate her claim. A million dollars has been awarded to her. All right, Jeff thoughts. I mean, I would like to join you in this venture to get paid by a store who wants to deny a service because of the skin color of our skin. And like, I just want to let people know ahead of time, like if I'm recording it and I have like a boom mic with me and I ask you to clarify in order for you to say it into the mic, just to make you know the investigation easier, cleaner for me right. to get paid, then that's great because racism clearly does pay. How much would it have been for them to simply serve this woman? And one more thing. There's always a zero tolerance for racism, bigotry, and xenophobia until it happens. So I'm glad they fired the individual, but yeah, I wonder how many else, how many other people up in there are defying that 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 tolerance. Right, and and listen, they fired him for being on his damn cell phone. They didn't fire I mean, him yeah. for being racist, according to them. All right, Jeff, always a pleasure, dear brother, have you on the program. Tell people I think follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, you can see me every day on Rebel HQ based on TYT. And I have a YouTube channel called We Gonna Be All Right. So you can find me there. Beautiful stuff, great content. We appreciate you, dear brother. All right, the bullpen is next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let me read some of these viewer comments 
don't have time to read them all, but I thank you for always joining the conversation. Brett Campbell, AKA Dragon, my ass says, there's a reason they call them frat boys and proud boys. Um, I am sock. It only took a month in a lawsuit. Matthew Fogarty, uh, good, she deserves a million for how she was treated. There you go. Cat uh, Tran or Trahan, uh, welcome to Indisputable. Sorry if I butchered the name, but thank you for the support. Soul Life, member for two months. Thank you for this. I'm trying to give memberships, but I think this freebie is blocking it, so I'm firing it off. <laughs> Keep doing what you do, Doc. Thank you. Uh, the Flojo 1958, welcome to Indisputable. And low, low whelp, racist and a lazy POS, shocking. There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Miss Sarah Weaver, who is a reporter, daily caller. Also, other bylines include National Review, The Federalist, and the American conservative. We will not hold that against her here. Sarah, good day, welcome. Thank you very much, thank you very much for having me. Well, we appreciate you being on the show today. We're going to talk about the new so-called educational reforms led by Governor DeSantis, I mean DeSantis out of Florida. And this governor has doubled down on these particular reforms, even though they have been noted as adversarial based on what teachers experience. Two of them in particular. One, the banning of African American studies as an AP course, and also the law that led to memos going out to teachers saying that they must dismantle their in-class libraries if the books are not approved by their special process. They could be charged with a third degree felony. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about these topics, so if you would give me your impression, I would then opine. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think the first thing is to kind of correct some misconceptions about uh, the controversy surrounding this story. I think a lot of people are talking about it as if it's a matter of, you know, DeSantis basically banning an already in place course. What did happen with this is this is a proposed course from the AP. The College Board put it out, they're testing it in 60 schools. And basically, Florida's Department of Education said, there are some things we'd like tweaked in this. Now, DeSantis has said uh, teaching about black history is a requirement at Florida schools, so that's not the issue. His issue is with um, what he would term the indoctrination that goes on. So he's pointed to some critical race theorists that are required reading in the course. Um, things like uh, discussion of reparations, uh, prison reform, that sort of thing. Um, and what the AP has done in subsequent statements, they have talked about how they are doing exactly that. They are addressing these issues and they are making sure that um, they can comply with Florida standards. But um, I think I think the misconception here is that, you know, this is like Florida uh, Department of Education is like coming in with guns a blazing and, and basically keeping teachers who are just free speech advocates from teaching about black history. But I just don't think that's exactly what's going on here. Well, so let me go ahead and give you the history. In the 1990s, Florida passed a law that did mandate the teaching of black history. As a matter of fact, the professor I sat under and received my doctorate under, Dr. Kua, Clark Atlanta University, was active in that movement to make sure that there was a statute and a statutory requirement. So that's number one, so that law does exist. Um, I don't know anybody who believes this was an already 
available course. Everyone that I have spoken with are well aware this was a new course, an AP course in African American studies. But I submit to you, if you would allow, that the issue is not simply the course alone, but is also the why. Why are they rejecting this AP course? You agree with me that this is a college course, right? AP courses, you are able to receive college credits. It is typically created by a collegiate design and submitted for advanced learners in high school, correct? Yes, it's a college offered in That's right. high school. All right, so you say that the governor is in fear of something called indoctrination. And that this would actually teach critical race theory, reparations and prison reform. Do you stand by that statement? I'm saying that that's what the DeSantis administration is saying. I'm not saying that whether or not that course is teaching that. But don't you think that's important? I'm sorry, what's what's important? Don't you think it's important if it actually teaches this or not as germane to the situation at hand? That's important, right? Definitely whether or not DeSantis's comments are correct. All right, are they? I don't know, I can't really make that judgment call. I think the, the biggest issue here is that the Department of Education it's within its purview to approve courses like this. It's not like you know they're coming in and saying you can't teach about African American history. What's happening is it's tweaking an already existing course, and no, ma'am, a proposed course, and you know, and the AP has responded and said like, yes, we're going to do that. Well, so well, but it's not tweaking an already existing course. Remember, this is an yes. AP course. Yes. Excuse me. I misspoke there. Okay, all right, okay, fair enough. So, let, let me let me explain it this way. Uh, the why is very important. Okay, so you knew you were going to come on the show and talk about this. The why is important to us in the Black community in particular, because when you say that we're going to ban something called African American studies, uh, and you do not do the research to understand the why, you just accept the talking point from the governor or the, or the uh, state board of education. That's problematic because you're telling me you're willing to adopt their report rather than engage in the journalistic prowess necessary to understand the why. I have, however, done the work. So here's the why. As you have proclaimed, it teaches critical race theory, reparations and prison reform. Number one, it does not teach critical race theory. It does present ideas that are called intersectionality. Intersectionality is common, it's normative, it's actually taught in Historical context, not simply in racial dynamics. CRT, once again, advanced theoretical concept, not part of this course. And the idea that reparations is somehow controversial is laughable to me in a curriculum. Because we learn about the reparations given to Native Americans. We learn about the reparations given to slave masters right after the Emancipation Proclamation. We have these learning models right now certified by Florida. So Florida obviously is not antithetical to the teaching of reparations because they teach it currently in the curriculum. They're only antithetical to reparations as it relates to black people. Third, prison reform was cited as a reason they do not want this curriculum because it indoctrinates. Ma'am, 98% of Americans believe that prison reform is required in these United States of America. How can that be a controversial item? And how can somebody stand behind that to suggest that this is indoctrination? And lastly, I will say this, I'm a former high school teacher myself. You do not go to high school to simply learn an academic curriculum. You go to high school to learn a social 
paradigm. You learn how to interact as a decent individual in this world and to remedy problems as they are presented. So tell me what's controversial about AP African American studies in Florida. So Dr. Ritchie, I think I should address something you said early on, which is that I was basically parroting DeSantis talking points. I don't think that's what I'm doing here. I'm just sort of trying to correct some misconceptions as I was following the story since I do cover the culture beat for the Daily Caller. I was just noticing people were headlining the issue. I even watched some of your coverage of it. Um, so people are headlighting the issue as banning an African American course. What I'm saying is they did not ban it, they failed to approve it. And there's a big difference there. And I think um, it's- That's a distinction that doesn't make a difference. When you say, no, we're not going to allow, uh, and by the way, black, black AP students who are advanced level students are the ones most likely to take this course. We all know that, That's that pans out in the data. Uh, when you say we're going to not allow it, okay, fine, call it a ban. Call it not allowed, I don't care. The reality is what is your good faith basis to say no? Can you present to me a good faith basis where they have denied the entry of this particular pilot program known as AP African American Studies? Well, again, I'd say that this is the Florida Department of Education taking issue with certain parts of the course, which it has every right to do. That's my point. It was a proposed Post course, it was a pilot program. The College Board was testing it out in I think 60 schools, um, and Florida basically said, "No, you need to go back to the drawing board on this, and you need to fix some things about it." Um, DeSantis has said African American history is something they want to teach in their okay. course. Certainly, if he wanted to ban all teaching of Black history, that would be hugely problematic. Yeah, but, but okay, understand this: you have said the board has the right to do this. Just because a board has the right to do, it doesn't mean it is right to do. That's a completely different conversation. Uh, local governments had the right to tell black folk where they could and could not sit in a restaurant. They had a statutory right that was codified by the Supreme Court at that time. That did not make it right, correct? Oh, I absolutely agree that there's a distinction between legal right and moral right. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay. Sure. All right, now, just because the board had the right to reject it, which we know by way of authority they do. Uh, it doesn't make it right to do so. What is their good faith basis? Why? Why are they saying no? It can't be for re reparations as they cite it because they teach reparations currently. Can't be for prison reform, that's a non-controversial idea. Can't be for critical race theory, not even taught in this particular curriculum. So what is their good faith basis is my question to you. I believe from my following of the story as a reporter, I believe that one of the things they pointed to is that when in discussions of reparations, which I absolutely agree probably should be something that's you know discussed in a, in a um, course about African American history, there wasn't really any arguments against reparations um, set up. And I think that would be something that would be good to see um, in this course is sort of competing um, opinions on issues like reparations, on issues like prison reform. Um, I do know the uh, course did cite Kimberly Crenshaw, a critical race theorist. How that's a very hot topic. Um, I know for some people, maybe it's not so much of a hot topic, but I do know for a lot of parents um, of Florida students, they're going to see a critical race theorist cited in that course. And they're going to be a, a critical race theorist. A critical race theorist. Bam, how much do they get paid per year? Critical race theorists? Yeah. Well, Ibram Kendi breaks in hundreds of thousands for his lectures. The lectures about critical race theory does not make a person, in summary, a critical race theorist. I learned critical race theory. I've been teaching it at college level since 2016. That doesn't make me a critical race theorist. And by the way, if a person was, it doesn't 
mean it's bad. Do you know what critical race theory is yourself? I have read some of the literature I did a couple summers back when this was a very hot topic. Um, it, it is a very complicated issue, granted, and I do know there are some instances in which that word is sort of used as like a catch-all phrase for like anything that deals. Is used wrongly, right? Yes, there are definitely cases where it's used wrongly. Right. So, but do you know what critical race theory is? I'd say it's looking at um, power structures, um, what they would say critically, um, and what they would mean by that is looking at sort of the power structures of there's an oppressed class and there's an oppressor mm -hmm. class. Do you um, agree that that's real? Oppressed class is are black people and the oppressor class is white people. I think in many cases, white people sadly have oppressed black people in history. But do you think there's innate biases inside of systems reductive. and laws because of that bias? I think it is reductive to sum down all power structures to have to do with the color of someone's skin. Okay, but that's not what critical race theory does. I'm, I'm asking, do you believe that there is structural racism in the United States of America codified inside of statutory language policies and also institutional norms? That's an extremely broad statement, and I'm going to be very hesitant to just agree with that. Perfect. Kind of agree, somewhat agree. Do I'm you disagree? Very broad statement, so I'm not. I'm not going to fall into that trap. Have you ever experienced structural racism or structural genderism? Not personally. Okay. Do you know anybody who has? I've. I definitely know people who have experienced racism and people who have experienced sexism. I think okay. so. The word structural is yeah, structural broad. Yeah, structural. I would like yeah. maybe some more specific examples of that. When the Declaration of Independence calls Native American savages, they are called savages because white savages are the ones who wrote it. And it found itself into actual legal doctrine. That is called structural. Racism. Does that make sense? Okay, that's an that's an interesting definition of it. I would just call that racism, but but it is in a structure, madam. It has now been it has now been contextualized in a structure that is adopted as authoritative literature in courts. That makes it structural. Okay, so your definition of structural, I just want to get it correct because a lot of people use that word for many different things. Your definition of structural is if it's used in legal components. Well, structural legal components is one dynamic of a structural element. That's that's normative. That's not anything that's. I mean, I would like to be an out of the box guy on this, but I'm not. That's pretty common. Okay. All right. I actually think you agree with me more than you're willing to admit today, madam. But I do appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.